that I'm going to make in every good decision I'm going to make. In the end, ultimately, I make them and not God. Isn't that right? You're here this morning? So we have an incredible God and he's not some... We need to surrender to him so his plan can come to pass in our lives. We need to surrender. And how, and how your life unfolds depends on you really, in the sense, a control of your own destiny. Um, I like what the Message Bible says about this verse. It just goes like this. It says, God foreknew what he was doing from the very beginning. This is the same verse in the Message Bible. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. See that he... He made a decision that those who make it, who love him, then he'll, he'll desire to shape their lives. So, how do we live in his plan for our lives? How, how do we do that? You might say, "Oh, I know a hundred ways that we can do that." Great. Can I just give you some thoughts this morning? How do we live in his plan for our lives? Because sometimes the reality is, is that I've got this sneaky feeling some of the things that happen in my life aren't his. Would not necessarily be his good plan for my life. Would you agree? Some of the things that happen aren't aren't that exciting sometimes. Some of the things that go down in my life, I wish didn't go down at all, but I kind of got to come to the conclusion that uh, I got to trust my God. And I don't think he wants those things for my life, but I've I've, I've seen in scripture how there can become some areas that we can live in his plan for our lives, live in his plan. And you know, it comes out of this verse. Because it says something really important. Because I believe the highest priority for you and me this morning, church, to see his plan unfold for us is to make the highest priority to become like Jesus. It's really simple just to become Christ-like. To become like Jesus. He, it says he, preter- he predestined or he predetermined what he would want us to look like when we finally come to that day when we made a commitment to him. He, he, has, a, he has a plan and purpose. Please... Um, Please notice something. He didn't predestine or predetermine your career. He didn't predetermine your position or your job. Your highest calling is not a position. It's not a job, not a status. It's not a title. It's not something else. It's not to have a thousand friends on Facebook. That's not your highest priority. It's not for everybody to like you on Facebook every time you put up a post. Amen? That doesn't rule your life. Would you try and agree this morning? But the reality is, is that your highest priority in life is actually to make your, help Jesus to become something that is, you become like. That's your highest priority. Um, and sometimes I think we can forget that because we can even put other stuff that's good ahead of what is a highest priority. We can say, well, God, what's your plan for my life? What's your will for my life? What should I do? What's my purpose for your life? And, you know, we can answer all those questions in one answer, just become more like Jesus. Now, the reality is, is when you do become more like Jesus, um, out of that, you then find you have a career, a family, a job, a future, a hope. Does that make sense? Putting the priority first um, putting him first, the priority to become more like Christ, actually helps you to develop all those other important things in your life that are important. Your job is important. Your family is important. But all of that comes out of, first and foremost, you know, the decisions you make about becoming more like Christ. And I want to just let you in on a little secret. The more you become like Christ, the better life goes. You may say, well, it doesn't sometimes. No, no, no. Generally, it does. Generally, it does. 
Sometimes in the process of life, character is developed, isn't it? But, uh, and it's not easy. So God doesn't go about seeking to force you or make you do things. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He has a plan for you. He lays out the path for you. And, um, and our job is to embrace it. Our job is to take a hold of it and say, God, I want to take part of that and plan. I want to take a part. Of, I want to be a part of the promises of God. I'm going to take the promises of God. I'm going to start to apply them in my life. I'm going to take a hold of your word. And I want to tell you, when you take a hold of his word and you take the promises of God, then you can start to see God doing quite incredible things, even miracles sometimes. And, he be, and, and the reality is he brings you to where he always wanted you to be. That's what he's always doing. He's never trying to take you down. He's always trying to take you up. He's always wanted to develop you. He always wants to build something into your life. That's the plan he's got for you. And you don't know the future he's got. But as you step into his continual passion to be more like Christ, I tell you, he unfolds the plan. And he shows you. Embracing the promise of God is really... It's about believing the truths of God. It's about taking his word, his principles, his precepts, his, all that he's written and saying, that's, how, uh, that's what I want to live by. It's his truth. And you know what? The Bible says you'll know the truth and it will set you free. We talked about freedom this morning as we sung that song. He will set you free. It, it comes from believing the truth. You know, and, I, and I've come to an understanding. How do we end up with addictions? And I'm not talking to non-Christians, I'm talking to Christians this morning with all sincerity. But how do we end up with addictions? We believe the lie that what feels good is good. How do we, how do we end up embedded and unforgiving? We believe the lie that those who hurt us deserve to be hated and never forgiven. We believe the lie. How do we end up lost with no sense of a future? We believe the lie that I'm useless and have no hope. So how do we turn that all around? You start to believe the truth. Uh, this is not rocket science this morning, but just start to believe the truth because the truth is, is what are you believing? Even as a Christian, what are you believing in? What do you need to change in what you believe in? Come on. Because um, as we abide in his word, you'll know the truth. And once again, it'll set us free. Um, and you know, many Christians love the Lord, but they don't have freedom. Because they've embraced something else besides the truth. They're believing it's something else. Or maybe their pain has taken them down the path of hurt and they just can't embrace the truth. Or maybe fear or concern or anxiety or stress or whatever it is just wants to take him away from the truth. The only way you can get rid of stress and fear and pain is the truth to come and seep into your soul so that you can start to live in victory and not under the, problem, under the issues but on top of them. And it comes as you take a hold of his truth. If there's one verse in Scripture that has impressed me over my decades, and I've probably preached more um, messages from this one verse. Mind you, it's just not this one verse because this whole principle is within God's word. But this one verse certainly emphasizes this one principle very well. It's from a verse in, in, from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And besides my becoming a Christian and receiving Jesus into my life, this is probably the second most important thing we need to do in our life. If we ever want to be formed in the image of Christ, if we ever want to take on the image, become more like Christ so we can then fulfill our destiny, this one verse, Romans 12, some of you can quote this verse, you know it off by heart, it goes like this, 
Um, and notice this verse is not talking to a bunch of non-Christians. This verse is talking to Christians. And it says, come on, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your... Great. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. What a powerful verse. Great verse. It talks about the very principles of how you can find transformation. And it's no news to the majority of us this morning. It's renewing your mind. It's what you believe. It's how you think. It's about getting this mind up here, thinking and believing the right stuff because your mind is powerful. Would you agree? As a man thinks or as a woman thinks, so are they, Proverbs says. See, just to get a little bit technical this morning, the neurologist, that's the brain doctors, brain specialists, say this. The same part of your brain that houses your speech, your speech mechanism or your um, the you know, the speech center is the same part as connected to the central nervous system. And so when you speak stuff out, that me- if you speak it out long enough, that message that you're speaking out, and more importantly, before you speak it, you're actually thinking it. But before you think it and speak it, 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 it and as you do that, it can actually affect your bodily functions and your nervous system. You know, if you, for instance, had fear and you continue to be fearful, it can manifest itself in our body through cold sweat or nauseous. If you're anxious, it can do the same kind of manifestations, can't it? Start to feel sick. If you're stressed, it can do the same thing. Your body reacts to what you think on. It's not, you know, that's not even, this is, that's not some deep theology, even though the Bible has that same principle in it. It's a reality of what they've found. Even non-Christian neurologists know the facts, that reality is what you speak affects your physical. Just like, you know, <clears throat> when you sometimes are fearful, uh, your adrenaline is released, or something like that happens, isn't it? Your body is affected. So if negative words are repeated long enough, the result is that we become what we speak. Fearful in life. That's why the Bible says so much about the mind. Um, And the truth is, what we speak affects how we live. Someone put it this way. I love this. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. Watch your character. becomes a way of life. Now, they could, don't just think negative there. If, you, if your words are uplifting and full of praise and thanksgiving, man, your actions become a little bit, you can become that way, and then your actions become a habit of praise, and you start the, the joyful life, and then your character is formed out of that, and you just say, that's a really happy character. That person's a good, good character. And then you form a wonderful life. It starts with what you think on. Simple as that. It's true, isn't it? That's why uh, the Bible's so important. You know, um, to illustrate, I was, at the age of 18, I was uh, with my dad in the backyard. I, I just had not long started my apprenticeship at the Gladstone Power Station. I was a fitter and turner um, uh, when I first started out. Great occupation, a great trade anyway. Not that I stayed in it very long, in engineering, but the truth is I was like eight months into my job and this particular afternoon I'm with my dad in the backyard and we're pulling down a little building structure that often was found in Aussie homes many, many years, in Aussie yards many, many years ago. It was called the outhouse. Anybody ever had one of them? 
for those of us who are from another land, it's a toilet in the backyard that's just really a toilet with a can. And you sit on the toilet and everything goes in the can. Okay, it's called a thunderbox, some people call it. Um, different, different places in the world, I've discovered, had different forms of it. Sometimes there's a hole, whatever. But this was a thunderbox. And, and uh, when I was 18 in Gladstone, <coughs> finally we had sewage inside the house. We had a toilet in the house and we were able to pull this little structure down. So I'm with my dad and I still remember it. I'm pulling the starting to pull the structure down. And as I was pulling it, my dad's on that side of the front of the toilet. I'm on the side. And as I, we're pulling it apart, a, a beam from the very top of this old toilet little building fell. It was, it was a heavy beam. It was quite large. It wasn't just a little stick. And as it fell, it literally just went straight past my nose and fell at my feet and didn't touch my body. Now, <clears throat> as that happened, I got a real startle. Ever been startled? Ever been, you know, I, I kind of, whoa, I didn't say whoa. What I actually came out of my mouth was a four-letter word, and it was the worst four-letter swear word that you could ever say. And right then, as it came out of my mouth, and I went, mm, I stood there, first of all, startled by the, the fact that I could have been really hurt by this beam falling. And secondly, I looked at my dad and to see what reaction he would have towards me, I thought, I'm on real hot water now. <laughs> and as he looked at me, we just stood there like time froze. I thought, the beam didn't hit me, but I think something else will. <laughs> he looked at me and I remember his look and as I looked at him, disgusted with what I'd said myself, I think he knew. And all it took was a look from the father to actually, for me to know that was just not right. And even though you were startled, it was, he never spoke about it to me. He just gave me the look. And we continued on. And I was like, what a wise dad. Because I was already beating myself up pretty ferociously inside. Where did that word come from? I've never spoken that word to that day, I'd never spoken it. I've never spoken it afterwards. But then as I started within the next 24 hours, I started to drill down and think about where does a word like that come? Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So where is that word in my heart? And I realized I'd done eight months of listening to that word at the Gladstone Power Station with all these men around me. And every day, sometimes I'd come home at night and I'd be thinking about that word. And, you know, bang, it'd be drumming into my head because the men at the power station used it as an exclamation mark, folks. It just wasn't a word that every now and then, but it was all the time. Who works in industry? You know what I mean. And so as a young man of 18, never been in that environment before, for eight months I'd heard this word every day on many occasions, all the time. I, I worked with a tradesman that, you know, just mm, 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 all the time. And, I, and, you know, I'd come home at night and it would be bombarding my mind. I thought, you know, and I'd think about this word saying, I've got to get rid of it, I've got to get rid of it. I've discovered if you want to get rid of something, don't think about it, just discard it, replace it, don't think on it. But I was thinking about it. And as I stood there startled that day, thinking I've just, you know, I've just um, thankfully not been hurt here, the word came out in a moment of weakness because it was in there. And I want to say what's in there will come out. And often sometimes it comes when the pressure comes or the emotion comes or the issues come and the way we speak and the way we react and the way we think because the pressure's on. 
But that's a time where we can allow our God to actually come and invade our space and help us to not, you know, to replace our thought processes as with good thought processes. It's an opportunity. See, behind everything you do, there's a thought. And I want to say, if you're serious about life change, you've got to be serious about mind change, about how you think how you contemplate thoughts up here. We want the good and pleasing, perfect will of God, it says in Romans. We want the end bit, but you can't have the end bit of the good and perfect will if you don't allow the middle bit of renewing your mind that it never happen. Even as Christians, church, we've got to find a place where we renew the, the gray matter, have a checkup from the neck up. See, we can... I'll never, I'll never be able to re, have a transformation if I never allow the transformation to happen in my thoughts. So, <clears throat> someone once said, let the mind of your master, Jesus, be the master of your mind. I think it's a good thought. It's a good thought. And that's why Paul said, I want you to be in the image of Jesus. That's why Paul said in, in, in Romans 8, 29, he says, come on, I've got a plan for you. I want you to look like Christ. And it all starts. He didn't put it in that verse in Romans 8, but he certainly continued to expound it throughout Scripture. In Romans 12, he did. He says, come on, you, it all starts as you just allow your mind to be, to be renewed. And I want to talk about how you can actually do that. Can we turn to Colossians 3, 1 and 2? <coughs> it says this. If you then being raised with Christ, in other words, if you then are a Christian, put it in simple terms, if you're, you're, you know Jesus, you've received him into your life, you've accepted it, you're a Christian, then, come on, seek those things which are above. If you're going to be a Christian, start to do Christian things. Does that make sense? It does. It's pretty good, isn't it? You know, if you're a kangaroo, jump around. If you're a Christian, start to do the Christian thing. So seek the things which are above which Christ is, sitting, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. So here we go. It says seek. Simple word. It means to desire. It means to embrace. It means to go after. You've got to want it. Seek those things where? That are above. How do you do that? Verse 2 says set your mind. Set your mind on things above. In other words, get your mind to set it on things above. You know, when I think of the word set, I think of my mother, and she'd, she'd make jelly for, jelly for us for dessert, for dinner. You ever had jelly? And she'd take the jelly crystals and put hot water in there, and then she'd put it sometimes in the, on the windowsill for the breeze to blow across it, or in the fridge, and it would what? It would set. And the truth is, is that you could wobble that jelly as much as you like. It was going to stay there, jelly, until you got a spoon and cut into it and ate it. It was set. There was no reversing it unless you really got the hot water and poured it on it and you know, it, it melted. But the truth is it was set. God says, would you do something like that? Would you set your mind? Would you make a commitment in your heart to set your mind on some things? Set the things on the things that are going to help you in life. Set your mind. So um, the truth is so often we can struggle to keep our mind in control and our mind can seem to have a mind of its own. That's a trouble. Ever watched a food commercial on television? And suddenly felt hungry? That's the power of suggestion, isn't it? Ever seen something and tell anything? I need that. Who's ever bought some of those products on television? You know, you've only got so many days, and if you buy this, we'll throw in the steak knives, and you ring up and you get it. 
And usually they're pretty good products, but you know, that's the power of suggestion. I'm not saying it's bad to do that, I'm just saying it's the power of suggestion. The trouble with some of the things we buy off the telemarketing is the reality is six months down the track, we thought, I didn't really need that. <laughs> Maybe you do. I can't speak to you, but it's the power of suggestion. And whatever grabs your attention can grab you. We've got to be careful. Um, and sometimes when we go through life thinking all I have to do is simply repeat, um, I must stop, I must stop this, and I must stop that, or I must stop this, and I must stop. You know, and you're repeating, I must stop lusting, or I must stop overeating, or I must stop, you know, whatever it may be, smoking, or what. You, you continue to bombard yourself with, I mustn't, I mustn't, I mustn't, I mustn't. And while you're doing that, what you're doing is actually focusing on the problem still. And what you've got to do is not try and focus on it, but actually replace it. Replace the thought. Don't say, I must not. Just forget about it and start to fill it. Replace it with a good thought. See, this is the practical side of it. Your focus, if you focus on something good, you'll embrace the good. If you continue to focus on it, even though you're trying to get rid of it, you, you will continue to be uh, actually um, caught up and captured by it. It's a bit like me with that word. I was trying to, I was thinking about the word saying, I've got to get rid of that word. I've got to stop I never want to say that word. It's, it's thumping in my mind. And then one day, because I was thinking about it, it came out. I just didn't need to think about it. I need to replace it with a better word. Don't think about it at all. Men are good at that. <laughs> and sometimes men and women, we just got to stop thinking about that and think about replace it with something that's really good. That's why Paul says to the Philippians in 4.8, think on things that are good and pure and right and just and worthy of praise and worthy of thanksgiving. He doesn't actually say, would you think about your problem so you can destroy it? No, he doesn't say think about the issue. Think about what you can't, the addiction you can't get over. Don't think about it. The only way you can deal with that addiction or deal with that issue is actually thinking, replacing it and not, not thinking about it. Replace it with something that's good. Paul doesn't say, say you know, Think about those things. He says, replace them. Fill your mind with good things. Fighting a thought is futile. It only strengthens the connection between you and it. By dwelling, you actually reinforce it. Don't think about it. Replace it. If you're watching television, if something bad comes on the television, folks, it's no good sitting there and saying, that is rude. That's not good. That's not good. It's, oh, look at, oh, look at that. Look. No. Walk away or turn it off. Change the channel. You've got to do that in your brain. Change the channel. Reprogram. Reboot. Whatever analogy or um, you want to put on it. Come on. Uh, when God says set your mind on things above, we also need to understand he doesn't, he doesn't mean just set your mind on heaven. Okay? He doesn't mean that. And you think, oh, I've just got to think about heavenly things. No, 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 no. What he literally means is have a godly perspective on everything you do. Just have a Christ-mindedness about everything you do, how you live life. Replace the old thoughts with the new thoughts. Okay? Um, we're good at doing that sometimes in this throwaway society. You know, the video player or the DVD player, I should say, breaks down. Don't take it to an electronics guy. It'll cost you more to, buy, to get it fixed than buy a new one. Just replace it. Isn't that right, Greg? Where is he? You know, if your television after 10 years blows up, don't take it. There's no probably electronics guys anyway. Just replace it. That's the society we live in. God's always had a replacement mentality, always since the beginning of time. It's been his mentality. 
So set your minds on things that are above. Does it mean just heavenly things? It means having a godly perspective on everything we do. You know, husbands, when you're with your wife, why don't you think about the reality that I need to love her like Christ loved the church, even when she's upset with you? Husbands, you know, wives, when you're with your husband, why don't you think about the reality is I just need to love him as God loves me, as it says in Ephesians. And even though he does the wrong thing and doesn't listen to you sometimes, still we need to think on what we can do there. Come on. When our children, how do we think about our children? How about we, even though they're doing the wrong thing, why don't you just love them and think about how you can continue to love them and train them in God's ways anyway? You know, when you, when you get an abusive abused by another driver when you're driving past the mall in Gladstone and someone abuses you and has a go at you and why not you know instead of getting upset about it why don't you think about you know instead of wanting to give them back what they gave to you and maybe you know whatever that may be um why don't you think about you know the realities of just bless them oh I know all that seems so spiritual but it's true isn't it it's true. When I feel angry, don't let it lead to some type of sin. We all feel angry at times, but set your minds on things above and see if God can help you focus, because anger can be so destructive, can't it? I went for a run yesterday afternoon, just yesterday afternoon. And you know what? There's magpies. Because I've had a bit of a cold for a couple of weeks, so I haven't gone for a run. So yesterday afternoon, I thought, I'd just go for a run. So I went for a run around my neighborhood, and you know, I wouldn't believe it. And, and I'm running along, you know, enjoying it. First time out for a little while, and I hear that familiar flapping above your head. And so I automatically, you know, because I had a traumatized um, childhood with magpies, I get a bit, ah! So I'm dealing with that. It's okay. God's helping me by continually helping you run into magpies. But um, I automatically throw my hands in the air like this, and I'm running <laughs> like this, okay? Now, I gathered that was a bit funny, because like you reacted as well, because there was a family in a household only 30 meters away, and they were on their front porch, and this lady comes over to the railing, and she starts to rail me out, and she says, oh, you're so funny, throwing your hands in the air, and she's giving it to me, and I'm like... Lady, I've got a magpie on my back. Don't you didn't have to add to it? And I'm thinking, that's a bit rude. And she's really, I mean, out loud, everybody within 100 metres could hear this lady. Yeah, you looks so funny. And she's laughing and her hands in the air. And I'm thinking, far out, lady. I'm just trying to enjoy my run. You, the magpie, who else wants to jump on my back? I couldn't believe it. I thought, that's not what you do to a neighbour. I thought, that's rude. And then I started to think. I started to think. And I want to tell you what I thought was all good. <laughs> I want to tell you I thought, well, you know. But I had to take a little while to get to that point. And my first initial reaction was, you know, lady, I'm going to come up over there and tell you what I think of you. I'm going to tell you my thoughts. You know, I'm just going for a run. You don't have to carry on like that. And you know what? As I started to pass her, I started to think, you know, it, it, it all happens very quickly sometimes. But then I started to think, oh, just drop it. And the way she was carrying on, as I thought, within about three or four minutes, I thought, you know, she's either one of two things, drunk or on drugs, because she was really carrying on. And I thought, gee, I could have said to her, don't you know who I am? <laughs> she didn't care. She was having too much fun. <laughs> 
You know, and your thought processes go through very quick. And, you know, you always get the, the you always, sometimes you, you'll get the wrong thoughts to think. And, and then you've got, you've got to replace them. And so I said, bless her, Lord. With a brick. No, bless her, Lord. <laughs> bless her, Lord. There's nothing wrong with the thought, well, that's rude. It is rude, you know. But um, there's one thing I've never regretted. One thing that you've never regretted, and yet you'll never regret this, you'll never regret thinking before speaking, especially when you're emotionally upset. Thinking. All you've got to do is sometimes breathe and take a moment and breathe. Stop speaking, just think. So, we see do not have a worldly attitude. Uh, don't have negative attitudes. And some will say, well... You know what? That's how we do things around here. We always have those type of attitudes. Well, I want to tell you, you're not from around here. You're from another planet. It's called Good Thinking Planet. Some call it Earth, but I just call it another planet, Good Thinking. Or some say, you know, the truth is, is that, um, um, you know, I, we don't, I, you know, accept the, the attitude, accept the attitudes of the world, and some say, "Well, everybody's doing that. Everybody's living that way. Everybody talks that way." Well, you're not everybody. You're actually a Christian. And that means you could be Christ-like. And it's not being spiritual. It's just being what God wants you to be, not being over the top spiritual. You know, one of the most practical things you can do is when someone gives you a mouthful, is look back at them. And say, hey, brother, you need to smile at them. And you just give them a smile. I mean, it does aggravate them a bit sometimes. So don't do it for those reasons. You know, there's, there's nothing better than doing when you're in a situation that you react in the opposite of the way to the person thinks you're going to react. Because I'll tell you what, it's an incredible testimony of what Jesus is like. Set your mind on good thoughts, godly thoughts, right thoughts. And when you do, you move into God's will. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You move into it. Your mind starts to begin to transform your life. And as you begin to transform, you, 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 then you start to find, you define your purpose and your destiny becomes all that God has for it. It becomes a better way of living. It all starts with a thought. Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Let this mind, come on, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. If it isn't plain, it's very plain right there in that verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Um, in Romans 8.29, he says, that's exactly what he's saying in Romans 8.29, conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Come on. Conforming to the image of his son. Um, for hundreds and probably thousands of years, thousands of years, or hundreds of years at least, man has wondered what the moon looked like and what it felt like and what would it be like up real close. And on the 20th of July, 1969, when I was six years of age, Armstrong and a whole bunch of two other guys, or at least Armstrong, they landed on the moon, and as he stepped out of the lunar module onto the face of the, uh, of the moon, he said, one small step for man, but one large step for mankind, or those words thereabout. And no longer did we have to wonder about what the moon looked like. It was, um, it, we knew now it was a big lump of cold, dirty dirt. That's what the moon is. It's just cold. It's a big lump of dirt. 
Um, the interesting thing about that big lump of dirt is that the moon, is, when it's in the right position, it becomes a brilliant light in the night sky. And for all of us, we've been driving along or walking along, and you've seen that moment on the nights of the full moon when it's rising over the horizon, and it just looks larger than life. You know what I'm talking about. The moon gets really big because it's a bit closer than other times. You think, wow, that's incredible. <coughs> and in those times, we see the moon is just a marvel. It's just amazing. But you know what? The moon has no power of its own. The moon has no power of its own. It simply reflects the sunlight. And when it does, and when it's properly positioned, and when it gets in that right spot at those different times of the month, it catches the rays of the sun, and it's brilliant. And in that brilliance... It, it, it actually has purpose and it has uh, amazing abilities. And then we know the moon is very important for us anyway here on earth. It, it helps us with the, the, the seasons, etc., etc. But the moon really reflects its brilliance when the sun is shining on it. And I want to just say that there's, the truth is, is the moon is a bit like us. We are just really a lump of dirt because from earth we've come and earth will return. But when the sun of Jesus Christ, God's sun, reflects in our lives, we become purposeful and brilliant. And it's amazing how much he'll just use you to be an incredible testimony. You're a bright, shining light, isn't it? Jesus, they say, is the light of the world. Guess what he wants you to become? Exactly that. Exactly that. And you know, when it all starts when we take on the mind of Christ conform our lives to the image of Jesus. We discover great ability and purpose. And that's why, again and again, can we stand this morning as we close? That's why again and again, the Bible continually says the same thing in different ways, but continually says the same thing. And that is that we basically need the mind of Christ. Luke chapter uh, so Luke says in Acts 17, 8, he says, In him we live and move and have our being. Who's the him? That's Jesus. We know Paul says, Philippians 2, 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, we've already said, conform to the image of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Romans 5, 17, We will reign in life through no one else, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes the difference. The mind of Christ. Can we just for a moment contemplate where our lives might be this morning? Would you, would you give yourself that opportunity to be real and to say, where do I just stand today? Where do my thoughts sometimes go that I need to stop it? Not to please me, but to help you. and Not even to please God. You know, you being a better Christian doesn't make God love you any more or any less. He loves you. He'll always love you. But He just wants to see the best for you. He wants to see the best outcomes. He wants to see the, the abundant life that He talks about really happening in your life. And so where in your life do you know that you need to just replace some thoughts and not go there? What are some images that you need to stop looking at and say, I don't need to look at that? We live in a tech world, and some of that technology can be harmful. You've you, you got to stop sometimes. Because, as I said, a word becomes an action, an action becomes a habit and a character, and then it becomes a lifestyle, and that can be destructive. And God doesn't want that for your life. He's come to give you life and life eternal. 
So where today do you need to make some adjustments in your thinking? Where do you just need to stop and say, I can really, where is a habit formed that you've got to break? It's not your willpower, it's God's power. As you invest in Him and say, come, Father God, I want your strength. Renew my mind as I conform to you and not the world. Transform my life. If you're here this morning and just saying, Father, in the realness, as we just could we all close our eyes and saying, if you this morning would just say, Yeah, I want to pray for you this morning. And if you want to be included in this prayer, just raise your hand this morning and saying, Yeah, there's some areas. Just before you and God, just give each other a moment of personal space. Just raise your hand and let me just pray. You'll be honest with yourself. Come on. I tell you what. Sometimes doing an act of faith is breaking the cycle that the addiction has on you or breaking the cycle what the enemy has on you. Some of you here today, and there is addictions, and God just wants to break that. And it starts with being honest with yourself and with God. We're not here to rail people out. We're not here to condemn people. But I just want to see life, life in your life. And it all starts with the decision and how you're going to think. So this morning, just lift your hand. Come on. If there's things you want to do different, I want to pray. I'm not looking at you this morning. I've got my eyes closed. It's between you and God. Come on. Heavenly Father, you see every hand that's raised this morning. And we ask that, Father, in the name of Jesus, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that what we would do is that you'd help us to start to replace the thoughts that we've had that are so negative and replace them with good thoughts and good things. Father, we pray for your strength to be determined in our life so we could do that. Because willpower sometimes and the suggestion and the power of suggestion wants to overtake us. And our mind seems to have a mind of its own. But this morning, Father, we present ourselves as what it says is living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, please to you. And that God, that you would take our life and strengthen us to say no to the enemy's suggestions and no to our fleshly desires and say yes to Christ. To have your mind, Lord Jesus, to have your thoughts. Father, I pray for an empowerment through the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, we'll never go anywhere. We need you, Holy Spirit, today. Father, in our thoughts, we need you. We ask for your strength in this area. And we commit ourselves again. Holy Spirit, come. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And if you want to agree with this prayer, I need, you to, hear, I need to hear you this morning. Give us a amen this morning. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for what you can do and what you're going to do. Father, we pray that we'll yield to you. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Come on, let's song. Come on. Die, hurt it, bro.